0: Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano, host of Citizens Climate Radio. We highlight people's stories, we celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. We do all this by hearing from some pretty surprising climate advocates. We feature politicians, preachers, and poets. Citizens Climate Radio is designed to inform you about the many ways people are addressing the causes and impacts of climate change. Subscribe and listen to Citizens Climate Radio wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to
2: Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals,
1: but also can have a positive impact on our climate.
0: This episode is brought to you by Renourish. Renourish is your one-stop online resource for sustainable design and systems thinking strategies and tools for the graphic designer. Uh, Can I jump in here for a sec? Um, okay. Cool, thanks. Well, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at the Free Tree Society in Malaysia. They do amazing work donating trees to the public for free to plant in their city. My friend Lydia works there, and she has contributed some solid voice acting work to our commercials on Climafide. So thank you, Lydia. But if you want to learn more about the Free Tree Society to donate to the cause of tree planting, head over to freetreesociety.org or follow them on Instagram at freetreesociety. All right. well that's pretty cool. A big thank you for Lydia from me as well. But back to the introduction. You can learn more about Renourish on their website at renourish.org or you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Renourish.
2: My name is Sadie Redwing. I'm a citizen of Spirit Lake Dakota Nation. I also identify as Lakota from the Cheyenne River Lakota Nation. I'm currently assistant professor at OCADU in Toronto, Ontario. My main focus is indigenous knowledge and perspective and visual communication and graphic design, as well as incorporating traditional ecological knowledge into design curriculum, which might fall into the realm of decolonization. But you can find more of my work at my website, W www.sadieredwing.com or feel free to follow me on Instagram at Sadie Redwing.
0: Sadie Redwing came to my university in 2021. She gave a talk on additionist design and decolonization. After she spoke, I knew we just had to be friends. And furthermore, I knew I had to ask her on this program. I've been trying to include TEK in my classes for about a year now. As like Sadie I believe there is much to learn uh, in indigenous knowledge I just didn't know how to do it but the more I read about and explored the topic the more upset I became about our history our attempted genocide of our indigenous brothers and sisters and to this day most governments still ignore will not give back the sovereign lands of their native peoples At my university many others I've been to, we read land acknowledgments right before our meetings and visiting artist talks. I always felt that was good, but it's just not enough. More must be done to listen and learn from our Indigenous friends, amplify their voices, and honor their wishes for their land back. They have been at the forefront of our climate fights as it threatens their entire culture and life. They know as Lakota elder Robert Tucrow wrote, everything is connected, interrelated and dependent in order to exist. The universe includes all things that grow, things that fly, everything you see in the world or the place that you walk on. These are included in what the Lakotas see in the universe. All of this is related. Truly hope you enjoy and learn from my conversation, Sadie Redway. Welcome Sadie. I'm excited to talk with you. We have been planning this conversation for quite some time and I am ecstatic that we found a day in time. I'm happy to have you here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I know that we can talk for hours on the topics that we get into, (laughs) but I'm super excited just to have connection and get a chance to really um, just nail some main points on some of the conversations that we talk about. And I think yeah. the the listeners can get an idea once we start uh, getting more in depth and some of the passions that we share.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to bring some, some new information I think to a lot of the folks who listen to this program and uh, stuff they've been talking about the last season that they wanted, they wanted to learn more about. So um that leads me really to what I wanted to talk to you about immediately today is, you know, you are teaching design and I'm wondering kind of a little bit of your backstory about um, why you chose design, like why it's important to you and, and why you're doing this work that you are up in Ontario.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I really started my journey um, attending
2: a tribal college. So I went to the Institute of American Indian Arts and I was trained to be an artist and I really love to work within the realm of graphic design and then following my degree I still felt like there was some more greater opportunity to explore and then also like I really love school so Mm -hmm. I felt I don't know there was a little bit of a drive where I decided to attend North Carolina State University and when I went to NC State it really opened the door of what actual design is versus research. So once I really started to understand that design, the practice of design is like invention. And there's other elements of design that maybe you don't see visually that you might see more within uh, a creation of a structure to make something function. So thinking about operating operating system, thinking about how communities are designed specific ways. So once I got introduced into that realm of territory, mm. then the light bulb went on off or the light bulb turned on. And I was like, wow, I had no clue that there was so much elements of design and meaning designing uh, a system thinking about design systems that relate to my own culture being indigenous of the great plains area and then also how uh, designers can work in realms of developing communities so when you see the word tribe and you see the word community that made total sense to me and I think once I started to make that connection of uh, you can assemble people uh, infrastructures whatever it may be to make something cycle and I really fell in and still still really trying to navigate how can I bring my expertise of being from a Native American tribe in spaces that have design systems that are that not necessarily mimic but are so similar and what has drove me to be in these positions within teaching or advocating for indigenous knowledge is there's so much knowledge that could be useful in in some of these uh design systems. And what is the right. driving point is more that uh, ethnobotany or that uh um
0: the, oh, the ethnobotany, is that what you said?
2: Yeah, and, and you might that's a new you term might have for to... me.
0: that's a new term. I've never heard that.
2: You might have to fact check me or double check on on the definition, but when I hear ethnobotany, I think of how humans uh, interact in the reciprocal frameworks of keeping botany alive. Um, So yeah, and and, and I think what uh, the driving word that is the connector between indigenous knowledge in the realm of design research, contemporary design research, Uh, interdisciplinary design research is that concept of land. And we'll get into, we'll define that a little bit more as we talk here. But what I've been doing lately in the past five years is really trying to bridge these concepts of indigeneity, which when you're bringing in indigenous knowledge, that knowledge is land science. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And when you bring that into our design school, how does that fit? So really utilizing my practice and expertise on developing curriculum, homework assignments, but which has really led into more the interdisciplinary scope, where now uh, there's a lot of design that goes into, let's say, uh, working within climate crisis, working wow. within uh, land regeneration. And again, just those connector points are really, uh, there's so new territory yet. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. still a lot of uh, folks out there that uh, some of these concepts are going over people's heads. And what I've been wanting to do and what I'm striving to do in the future, particularly at OCADU, is how do we bridge these concepts of, if, you, if, we, if, if I had a chart right now, and we start at uh, indigenous knowledge and how de- indigenous knowledge plays into visual communication, fashion design, product invention, and then de- design and operating systems, and then you get into bringing terminology like decolonization, and I think what the I think of the level that I'm at is really trying to define decolonization as a way to redesign practices that have destroyed land in the past, mm-hmm. and really have brought that more into the design research. Because that word decolonization has been so trending for the past five years, but you never hear or the those who are speaking on it don't talk about design systems that have destroyed land or have been played to regenerate land. And hence, having that conversation in the United States, there's two parties that are always (laughs) at confrontation at land rights. So think about U.S. government, indigenous tribes. So there's that advocacy and that activism where it's we want stewardship and sovereignty of these lands so that we can get our soil, or, uh, get our soil more healthy. And there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole design, system, process, a reasoning um, of why soil is so important. So I'm really, it's it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of large concepts, large, large scopes, but hopefully I can be one person to be helpful on being that thread that connects indigeneity, decolonization, design with all influence of getting the next generation prepared who are stressed on global warming, who are stressed on climate change. And if we had more Indigenous design voices in those spaces. What are the experts in those areas? So I think if there's if there's a lot of lot of layers that um, that we gotta bust through yet. But uh, it's I want to say like there's a lot of excitement in my gut that I feel like we're we're moving in the right direction. Could be moving a little bit faster. I agree But it means <laughs> yeah, it means of getting uh, more uh, students more indigenous students to get educated, to get them ready to be in these fields is what is exciting, exciting for me, so.
0: Yeah, one of the layers there is that based on your story, you went through not a decolonized education at your university design experience, I'm guessing. I, I don't mm-hmm. imagine that you were covering what you were just talking about uh, as a student, right?
2: yeah absolutely not if anything I was trained more on you make a piece of art you better know how to sell it <laughs> Meaning <laughs> that you better know how to write artist statements you better Come know how it. to frame your work you better know how to talk to uh talk to folks who might want to buy your art so I was really trained into persuasion and persuasion mm-hmm. does fall as a strength within graphic design when you're you know, using visuals to enhance somebody to make a decision, but I think what is really hard and challenging is maybe another reason why you don't see a lot of indigenous designers in these realms is that we gotta comp- we gotta fight through some of the previous layers to get into here. So my journey really started on tackling stereotypes, and what was what has been nice since. 2015, I'm going to roughly say, is there's been more awareness of how stereotypes can be harmful. We see it a lot in, in school mascots, sports mascots, yeah. and I think once the general population and I'm speaking very informally, talking about you know folks in the United States, once they kind of got a grasp, like yeah, you know maybe let's not use that mascot of the native, uh, the Amer- Native American uh, profile. You know let's let's be mindful that kind of like eliminated some stress i was like oh okay i don't have to come in a space and talk about stereotypes anymore Mm -hmm. now i can really start talking about okay this is where we need to start progressing particularly if we have 500 plus tribes uh fighting for sovereignty we have a generation of students that are going to be working in these sovereign nations now as a design educator the importance isn't getting these students knowledgeable in combating stereotypes now we got to get them to be able to work in a country that's not the United States in the United right. States and then the first uh, importance is knowing your land territory and I think and I just had a conversation with a uh, with the with one of my co-workers and they mentioned that you know when I'm when I'm in meetings that talk about let's bring more indigenous people into spaces the general, Consensus is if people get so caught up in the culture, so meaning how what we look like, maybe our religion, maybe how we dress, but they're not actually understanding our responsibilities of why we want our sovereignty, which is keeping soil alive. It's very simple, but no one thinks of soil when they think of Native American tribes.
0: Right? Yeah, and I imagine in your design classrooms, it sounds like um, you have a tough job in that if you have Indigenous students or First Nation students in Canada, and then you have non, right, more um, white, Canadian, or other ethnicities, you're kind of doing double duty there in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, education on that topic, but also I feel like you're also a, a role model or empower, empowering role model for, for those of First Nations in your class. Is, are there, do you find that the, that to be the case?
2: Yeah, I would, to give a little bit of insight of why I chose to attend OCAD youth. So Toronto, I, didn't, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to the cold, <laughs> but there were the, one of the first schools I ever seen that put decolonization in the handbook. And when it's written in the handbook, I think the statement is still very vague. And I, one of the reasons why I think it's vague is still people are really trying to grasp what even does that mean because i feel like that's just a placeholder for change but essentially it's the preparation of okay when more and more native american tribes first nations tribes get their sovereignty my business my school might be sitting on you know their their treaty borders their government might have a little bit more say in what happens mm. in that city, in that country, in that state. So I think um, what we get it as indigenous design educators when we we're brought into a space, we really have to start bridging what uh, what the territories are, but then also why why does decolonization fit within sustainability? Yeah, and. I teach indigenous materials and methods and that's in the indigenous visual culture department and the one thing about indigenous design and indigenous art is the use of natural resources so preserving those 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 materials, when I say materials, I mean like wood, fibers, uh, particular plants that might make specific dyes, uh, beads, shells, Mm -hmm. animal products, anything before trade came over. So anything before steel or glass. So there's such a huge, I don't think it gets celebrated enough is there's such so much resource, natural resource ties that are needed in art and design schools, particularly to get students trained in uh, to be professional. Now it's a little bit challenging to live in today's world. And let's say that I'm a wood carver and I, you know, have a great portfolio of my of my wood carvings, but can I survive outside of school if I don't, you know, I ha- would have to really no- need to know how to market myself. Right. Now. What would be a little bit different in that curriculum track is maybe, you know, as a wood carver, you don't have to market yourself as an artist. Maybe if you became more of an expert on what wood might be indigenous to the area, if that type of wood or that type of tree may be on the verge of extinction, is there any tribal knowledge that can help preserve or add to, uh, you know, keeping, uh, you know, your resource alive in a reciprocal model. So I think that's the shift that we're starting to really bring in. So within my Indigenous Materials and Methods class, we talk about all these elements, the use of a porcupine quilt, the use of a particular flower that you might see in a pattern or that might have been meant to dye and that dye was traded, uh, but everything is going to need soil. At the end yeah. of the day, I can't stress it enough. It's such such, such a simple concept, but then I think people will just forget those aspects of, hey, if I'm a woodcarver, I make a piece, after I'm done with that piece, I'm gonna go plant 10 more trees just to have yeah. that framework of um, reciprocity and not be exploitative yeah. of resources and not use. And then two, the revitalization or the regeneration of these resources will be helpful to us in general as, as humans. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think we get so caught up in, in media or trends that we're overlooking the most important aspect of just needing just natural resources.
0: Now, is that what you would define as tech or traditional ecological knowledge, what you've just described or Is there more to it?
2: I think, to be honest, I think you could go to school and get a four-year degree in traditional ecological knowledge just because the continent of North America is so diverse in terrain. Mm. So meaning that uh, uh, there's so many different Uh, resources depending on the area of the continent that you live. So if I'm defining traditional ecological knowledge or TEK, I see that as knowledge of land science. So meaning that there's a lot of knowledge before textbooks, before contact in 1492 that is still useful from today. But because we didn't have textbooks, because we didn't have that printing press, because we didn't have these archives and these libraries, the knowledge of land is not... I might need you to help me define this a little bit. So I think... People forget because we didn't have something like a textbook, because we didn't have something like the printing press, we're not educated, but we were so educated in how, uh, we learned the science of land animals and how we use those elements to create societies and just to make a living in the means of knowing what particular plants helped with our, uh, plants, animals helped with our food and health, um, what type of, um, shelter you would need to sustain in the winter or to stay to sustain in you know negative degree weather versus extremely hot weather like we had all uh this knowledge that we learned from either uh you know studying from animals or studying how you know seasons change in different patterns what I mean patterns being like animal migration patterns uh you know if you live in in a space where you get all four seasons summer winter fall spring the way your traditional ecological knowledge is going to be a little bit different if you live let's say maybe in an area like Mexico where every day is 70 degrees Do you don't have know? those seasons when we have this lecture in my classroom we have it's I open up and say the framework of TEK is helpful for students who have a history and knowledge of taking care of land before the printing press
0: came over. Got it. That's a good definition.
2: Yeah. And I think I really learned that definition in a culinary arts class. So in, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> thinking like, uh, There's so there's so much diversity amongst indigenous tribes in North America that our whole lifestyles, depending on where we're at, are different. And we'll get we'll talk a little bit more when I start when I give a reference to tall grass or, you know, living within the prairie the food that we ate was different as a nomadic tribe because you're constantly on the go. Like you pick up, you're going, following the buffalo. Buffalo, don't wait for nobody. So uh, in the means of anything that we could grab or gather, that's that's what we ate. Versus if you are somewhere, let's say in the Southwest where you might not be following buffalo or if you're in a more densely tree populated area where the buffalo can't walk through, you might be, just be in one area, which you might have a lifestyle that allows you to farm, harvest, domesticate animals. So your palate is going to be different or your foods are going to be different. So I think when I really started to explore TEK, it was more on, well, how did tribes eat? And I still feel like in today's, generally speaking in today's society, just folks still cannot, do not know indigenous cuisine but that was my first indicator my first introduction on seed sovereignty food sovereignty what foods come from what regions what was the purpose of those foods and then how do we keep those foods sustainable how do we keep them continuously growing and growing and growing and growing and that's a science to it and definitely and I'm noticing that science is starting to be more needed in some of these spaces, particularly uh, w- in working in research that talks about the overworking of soil. And it's like, man, like if you could just get some of these soil old
0: again, right?
2: all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I wonder because um, I've, I've read about TEK um, in the past and I've been feeling... This is something that design students need to know about. They, they use natural resources and things they make, and they live, right? I mean, basic stuff. And I'm not an expert in it. Um, you are. And I'm wondering how, like, any design educator can bring that topic into their classroom when they're not indigenous, right? Because I think about the, the book um, Writing the Other by Nisi Shawl which talks about writing a character of a different culture when you're not from that culture. So I have been struggling with, with this. Now the only solution I came up with was let's invite someone who is indigenous to talk about it. But um, I mean, I don't think you have enough time to go into every classroom (laughs) and do this, but have you, I don't know, how, how do you reconcile that?
1: I
2: think the word that would fit in here would be exploitation.
1: Right.
2: And I think, again, another word that is, could be defined a little bit better. And the one example that I love to give, particularly in the realm of graphic design is our. And I'm saying this informally, our addiction to paper. Mm-hmm. So as an artist, mm-hmm. as a designer, we constantly need paper and I do give a lecture of how much. I don't hate the printing press. I respect it, but when you're in a design course or a graphic design course or any time that you might have a textbook that talks about the design canon or the history of graphic design visual communication printing it you start off with Johan Gutenberg's <laughs> printing press, and I yeah. get it. One thing that is to champion on that was it was a genius invention in means of mass communication. Uh, you know, getting words out there. You know, getting literature and books out there. But I feel like people don't reflect that timeline um, from then until now. So. To give an example, the printing press didn't create junk, but hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
0: listening. I'm listening. So when listening.
2: you think about any type of press, I so think about the leather press, you think about English, you think about words, you think about, okay, I needed trees to build this and some hammers and some nails and maybe even some metal and some weight and thinking about where you know the possibilities of where the printing press could take you did anyone think about how heavy it was going to be how mm-hmm. big it was going to be how much it was going to be especially when you start to introduce metal into the concept I, I would never have thought of that yeah and then in thinking about uh a, you know maybe one of the first books well if it was the bible the bible is not 10 pages like the bible i don't, <laughs> i couldn't tell you the amount it's but it's, it's a from- pretty solid yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> It's a pretty solid book and yeah. and if Johan Gutenberg was like, yo after Bible 10, you know let's let's plant a tree or maybe let's mm. let's do 10 Bibles and then let's plant a couple more trees but I don't think anybody was in that design team who was constructing or inventing the printing press that maybe thought of that point you don't have to be indigenous or native or of a first nations tribe to know of that concept, wow. but it's just more, I think we forget about, uh, our, our, our consumerism. And I, I, I use a, you, I, I shouldn't say it this way, but I, it kind of makes sense in a way that it's, it's an ad- addiction mm-hmm. and in thinking about, okay. Uh, Bible being one example, but think about all the novels. So uh, one of the reasons why we 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 know about like William Shakespeare, we know about all these. Uh uh, I'm thinking of Leonardo da Vinci, maybe Michelangelo, but there is a lot of when I say junk or stuff, I shouldn't say it that way, but in the means of it the is, more of it is.
0: It's
2: fine. <laughs> More <laughs> more books. So one book leads to two books, leads to a hundred books. Now you got now you need a bookshelf. Now yeah, we got a hundred more. Yeah. yeah. And it gets into after a bookshelf, then I'm probably gonna need a whole room. Then I'm probably gonna need a library, then I'm probably gonna need more and more and more and more. Um, which is great. It means that preserving, you know, preserving, uh, you know, theorists or you know folks that we we cite in works cited and annotated bibliographies, but in things of you know, once there's more English words invented, words get longer. Those in- increase in pages, and again, just accumulates more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Now that type of invention wouldn't necessarily work in the United States, and it didn't of, uh, because like I said, if you come from a tribe that's more nomadic, I don't want to be the one has to set up camp, put the printing press together, print some books, take it all out, got to <laughs> put it back on my horse and haul <laughs> it and go to the next area. It's a lot of
0: a little heavy. junk.
2: It's heavy. Right. And hence, maybe this is why indigenous tribes communicate more in symbols because it's less if I have an oral history and a symbol that reminds me, I don't need a thirty-page book. It's heavy. Books, books get pretty heavy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in 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 thinking about just that concept of exploitation, the printing press is one example, and I feel like any design educator can talk about, like, hey, yeah. we're using a lot of paper. Maybe let's plant some trees because when I what I see in my experience and being indigenous uh, is. Where there's still a lot of connections between indigeneity in North America and South America. And when you start to see more deforestation happening, and then that's when it's like, gosh, like let's, you know, let's not be so dependent or let's, let's, let's think of, let's do something a little bit better. If we're going to be utilizing all this lumber or wood and it's affecting people. And even if we don't see it, uh, it's
0: experiencing it.
2: Right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one
0: of the things that, and correct me if this is a bad approach, but um, one of the key things I took away from tech, which, I mean, I think I knew this as a child, right? It's just sort of like common sense that this idea of reciprocity just sort of really struck, struck a chord with me, um, this idea of regeneration. Like, you take something, you give it back. But we've been taking so much, we need to give like three times back after we take one thing, right? Because it, it, it needs repair. And so that's what I've been talking to my design students about is this idea of regeneration mm-hmm. through reciprocity. And um, I, I know you, I don't know a lot of other Indigenous scholars in design. So, I mean, I can't call you and say, hey, send so you <laughs> free on Thursday because I need you that's the way I've been handling it. Cause I, I don't feel like I should be teaching that topic. Cause I'm not, you know, I didn't live it. So.
2: Yeah. I, um, I'm, I, I want to go a little bit more deeper in talking about regenerate or regeneration, land yeah. regeneration, soil regeneration, because what I'm, what, what I'm wanting to do is to bring more terminology on reciprocity into design spaces and i hope i'm not wrong saying this is that in the community of design it was a it is still a huge trend to get everybody on board with dei diversity equity and inclusion right right and i think we're progressing in there where we're getting more inclusive in these spaces and i when I say I'm hope I'm not wrong saying that the next trend coming up is well we got a we got a solid team now now the next <laughs> challenge is how to be more eco-friendly, how to be sustainable. Yeah, yeah. And I think in thinking about preparing for those conversations that are coming up, this is where indigenous knowledge can excel. It may not excel in other trending aspects, but we are definitely going to be needed in any conversation around land regeneration. Now, how I'm trying to bridge that within graphic design or just even in design in general, there is some great research out there about land regeneration. I think maybe... In more of the Midwestern <laughs> areas, there's a huge scope of what people say flyover states. But in thinking about, you're gonna have to know history. So for example, you want, I'm not when I say you, I'm speaking very generally, but if the goal is to be have you know to regenerate land or really open up people's eyes to how destructive farming and crop growing can be. What would you be reverting back to? <laughs> like what? Like what? I think I think people forget the that you're gonna need. Well, what did this lamb look like before all the cornfields came about? Before that's all true. cattle or cows? I know that in and-
0: Illinois with all the <laughs> corn that's around here.
2: same here so this is why i get so frustrated because i'm here in south dakota Mm
0: -hmm.
2: don't get me wrong i love me a good steak (laughs) like i'm really um i i i I appreciate and admire hard-working farmers and ranchers what is upsetting is that in a conservative state states like north dakota and south dakota Mm -hmm. there's so much inequality between the tribe the tribal sovereign nations and the um the governance of 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 the states when it's just like why like why can't we like like let's smash out you know the racism and at the end of the day let's think about the prairie and if we're gonna and i i feel like you know maybe in, in my circles i feel like people may not understand the importance of how much the prairie can aid and just even cleaning air um yeah and i feel (laughs) that the um uh the the tek or the knowledge of revitalizing that prairie is going to come from the great plains tribes particularly what what are you going to need to make that grass grow and the one object or no, I'm not maybe objects are the right word but the one thing you're going to need that is stronger strength than a human in any technology is the buffalo. You're going to need the buffalo feet, you're going to need the buffalo weight. You're going to need their migration pattern, but it's hard It's hard when the U.S. government was trying to get buffalo extinct in the 1800s and then you have uh, farms and corn crops that are in the way of the buffalo, the traditional buffalo migration pattern. And it just gets so frustrating and was like oh like we're some of the we have the science of a buffalo down to a T like we that's that's our area of expertise, we have thousands of years like it took us that long to really get a system functioning. So if you look at that timeline of how long we heard of the buffalo and you cut to the last 200 years of how destructive overtilling is it's so I want to say disgusting and then. It's just like we watch documentaries. I mentioned to you Kiss the Ground documentary, which has that's really good uh, a description, or a really good resource to learn about land regeneration. But it's just like, if you would have got some, some indigenous people that are experts on Buffalo, we could have been, you know, it, that we could have made that documentary a little bit better. So that's where the frustration comes in, where it's like, you know, people are smart in, in knowing about land regeneration, but they it comes from a book they're not asking mm-hmm. the experts that have that knowledge from thousands of years where they don't trust it like i don't i don't know i will never understand why we're not brought in as greater resources in revitalizing the prairie or even the desert or even thinking about our you know relatives out, up in the antarctic area or just in the arctic or you know the jungle it's just like yo, like, hear us out, like, we can help you, I don't get, like, why are people so scared, but then again, I understand, you know, uh, there's a, a, people, and maybe you can speak a little bit to this point, is there's a lot of researchers out there that have paid their dues, they've gone and got their PhDs, they traveled the world, participate in all these global climates, where their area of expertise, maybe it looks a little bit more solid than somebody that came in and just has stronger oral histories that comes from a little community. So I could see that as maybe- I think you're right on there because
0: we're both designers. Um, I I work in sustainability, but when I wanna get invited to the sustainability table on my campus, hey, there's engineers there there's like crop scientists there there's no designers there there's no artists there there's no indigenous voice there so i imagine you know you yourself right you're not getting we're not getting invited to that mm-hmm. in the party where right? <laughs> your voice is not getting heard there when it needs to and um i'm curious that um the buffalo the prairie grass how are you bringing that into your classroom or or just the designers education in general cuz clearly it's needed. And I, I wouldn't know how to do it, but.
2: Yeah, I, it's, it's kind of weird working within, let's say uh, artists or design students as, uh, as let's say I'm a, I'm a, I'm an art student. I want to go into fashion. I want to go into graphic design you are immediately on your mind are bigger cities. So I want to go to San Francisco. I want to go to the East coast where maybe some of the more, um, you know, predominant design schools are, or I want to be down in Miami or New York or or LA. And those are always on maybe more towards the coast. And unless you're like Chicago or uh, Kansas city, um, maybe St. Louis, if you're, in what we've been saying flyover states, I feel like people uh, either don't pay attention or just maybe you're not aware. And how I've been starting to morph and bringing these concepts into graphic design is if we are gonna be at the point in our lives, and been, I I th- think you agree with me that we will in our lifetime, are gonna have to be more on top of uh, you know the climate crisis, we are gonna need to get more graphic designers to make visual data animations, posters, or anything in the realm of that science, that whole interdisciplinary of uh, that, that science research and, 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 and a graphic designer to visually bring identity, particularly simplify it for an audience that all of this talk is going over their heads. Now, if I'm going to be developing that data visualization, these posters, these marketing, maybe design for a nonprofit, making campaigns, I might be targeting sovereign nations or sovereign nations want to implement more frameworks that are going over people's heads. Hence needing a graphic designer to teach them Mm -hmm. to design for them. So if you're targeting, let's say that I'm talking about, I'm making a framework. I'm saying like, Hey, we need more Buffalo farms. We need less oil, less casinos. We need more Buffalo farms. Uh, I need some graphic designers to bring some of these to, 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 to life. And if you're targeting a great plans audience, you got to be mindful on how you design for them. So not using stereotypes. You know, if we're going to talk about Buffalo let's use some of our visual language that speaks to Buffalo and not corny tropes or clip art that you might uh, <laughs> bring off Word, word doc. And even in, um, and also uh, uh, I'm curious on your input on this aspect too, is a lot of folks who are working, who are adding to the overworking of, of soil that they, they come from rural areas. They may not, they, uh they might just be follow, you know whatever the government says or whatever type of crop that they need that they're at the end of the day they got to feed their families so Mm -hmm. they're going to take that government check and they may not and i'm not saying this in any disrespect they may not even be in school they might have gotten a they may have a legacy of farming or crop growing where maybe they're not, not even exposed to research or technology because yeah. they wake up at five in the morning, get their work done. They're hungry. They go back, and it's it's, it's that hardworking labor that, when we're in these when we're in this talk, I feel like that. I'm not talking in any realms of being disrespectful. I respect a hardworking small town family, but uh, you know if they're exposed to a little bit more education you know, maybe they might have a little bit, maybe they can help be a greater voice. And one, I don't wanna go down on a super tangent, but even I know sometimes those real communities are hesitant to bring technology into spaces Mm -hmm. too. And when we're talking about bringing in maybe artificial intelligence that let's say might help tall grass grow, and you're for and you're bringing in designers that aren't from the area they don't know about you know that terrain or you know some maybe some helpful tips on designing a particular software that could help um, you know that's another opportunity to get an indigenous designer into these spaces so again going back to these layers you know at the if it's more rural maybe more polished area you're you got a family to feed you might just be following the government's instructions and then if you are coming in with a little bit more conservative background or maybe you like you're in a very traditional style you might oppose new ideas or new um be more less inclusive or you might oppose oppose uh inclusivity just a little bit because you come from a legacy of hard workers so that's kind of hard to navigate a conversation around. Yeah, it is. It those. is
0: but, but I think not even from a designer, but designer, yes. But as a person, as a human living here, as something you might know about me, I'm I'm like a systems thinking evangelist. Um, I'm all in in on it. And that if you're able to show a designer, all these different connections and relationships, doing it visually, like the idea of a mind map would be a good example of what this could look like. But connecting it all back to that rural farmer and soil. Like they feed you, you know, they also feed cows and pigs too, but they feed you. And if they can't do it, because the soil, whatever is going wrong, the climate, you're not going to be able to be a designer, right? You're you're just going to be fighting to survive. And being able to see those connections, I think, could change their perception of how the world works. It's not just, you know, food is just sitting there on the table, We need to know where it comes from.
2: Well, uh, we might, we might pivot in the conversation, but you bring up that concept of a mind map. Yeah. Um, so going back to how I might see some of this conversation into a classroom and going back to the goals of working at OCADU and really trying to bridge the concept of decolonization sustainability, i'm I'm curious this is where my my design research design research hat comes on is is it a mind map that's going to help make these connections like what what can i design for the folks that are really trying to implement these values into mission statements and really and again i hope they're progressing and wanting to be more eco-friendly and how they're writing or how they're including the word sustainability as a core value into, let's say, a handbook um, and wanting to honor Indigenous sovereignty. Yeah, how can we design a map that is a little bit more clear, a little bit more organized, because I even for myself, uh, I know my thoughts are all over the place. <laughs> like I need to get organized and get them into a funnel so people realize, okay, if the core is land, how does that funnel up mm-hmm. and maybe get to a point where it might be helpful for like uh, the San, or San Francisco Art Institute or Arts, or in means of it's, you know, if you're creating a framework and, you're t- and, I'm, and I'm bringing in knowledge of the prairie, that's not going to be helpful at Arizona State, or that's not going to necessarily be helpful right. at, at the University of Louisiana or even University of Connecticut. So um, I think at this point, if we can just start developing, you know, does it start out as a mind map? And then we just, not, not ad-libs, but if you take out, you know, if if we can get one region done, because like we said, the continent is so diverse, uh, is that going to be helpful? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I'm nomadic, my nomadic framework reciprocity may not be the same as, let's say, a Pueblo community around Santa Fe, New Mexico who are not nomadic. They've been in one, one, one place. So I, you know, kind of, you know, going back, bringing this conversation back into the realm of design, I, Like, have been even curious to hear, like, other than the mind map, like, what, what can we do? Like,
0: what can we decide? Right, right. to- no, I hear you on that. Uh, there was a couple years ago um he's at Michigan State his name is Dylan AT minor he's an indigenous artist there he came and gave a talk at our art school here at Illinois and he taught he had this term which I think is just beautiful in terms of how he worked he says he collaborates with plants and that just like hit me like a ton of bricks in that that's what I do Right. Where I work, I make paper and yeah, I live in Illinois. So not like Connecticut and Arizona, I got prairie grass and corn, but prairie grass to this conversation. I said, you know what? This prairie grass that I'm using to make paper, this is a collaboration because if I overuse it, it's gone. Right. Yeah. I we, we There's this back and forth. And I'm wondering if that idea of like collaborating with plants, like you got paper, right. Mm-hmm. Um, designers use paper right so if that's a collaboration with the forest or for me no more trees please for making paper <laughs> I don't know that when you ask that question that's the first thing that came to my mind is like can we get that idea into the classroom about this is a collaboration with?
2: yeah and I and I can even see a domino effect so for example to even go um you know if if if, if it was like a a structure and how you might connect particular classes. So let me give an example. So like I said, I I teach the indigenous materials and methods class as 100 level course. And if I can get students to understand, uh, you know, the materials indigenous to the area and why it's important to keep that reciprocal model to keep the longevity of that resource then they can take those concepts and take them into what area of expertise. So if you want to go into textiles, you might need to learn how to make dyes. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: if you could know what particular color hues come from which particular plant, and if there is uh, knowledge, T-E-K, traditional ecological knowledge of keeping a particular plant uh, growing, you're gonna need to know that for uh, you know the, the textiles, and then even too, if let's say that if it's not dyed, maybe I want to capture that dye color and bring it into an illustrative Adobe color palette.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so I'm hoping that uh, you know just to even talk about reciprocal frameworks, the natural resources that are going to be needed in art and design you can take that in other any other avenue so you don't have to be necessarily a graphic designer maybe i could do beadwork they may make pottery pottery that's a whole other natural yeah. resource that Play, um, whatever yeah you know wood woodwork or fashion i just got back from the indigenous fashion uh, arts festival in toronto and everything really talked about you know how exploit, exploitative fashion industries are oh, and yeah. the the waste <laughs> that goes into a lot like of a, that
0: that's like a 3 hour podcast right yeah. there
2: <laughs> but yeah just to cover the the uh the, the the grasp is um if we start having more of these conversations in design education i think it would aid into you don't have to be indigenous to practice this if you're mm-hmm. understanding how maybe uh it's not your addiction, but understanding how much your need a little bit uh, could be a little bit yeah. more greedy in in some of these uh, areas. Um, yeah, you gave,
0: me, you gave me some great <laughs> ideas for in the fall because if you think about i'm I'm teaching like these basic graphic design courses. This is what I've been asked to do in the fall. and yeah, we're gonna have to talk about printing. We have to talk about the things that graphic designers do, and wouldn't it be better or at least different. If you know we're making something, it needs to be printed, but we have to make the paper for it to be printed on. We have to make the inks for it to be printed on. And to see how long that takes versus like they take 50 steps down to the print lab and then they print it out and they're using oil, you know, they're using um it's carbon emissions galore just from from that one action. Like what what a difference that might make in just the designer's thoughts about their connection to the world, right? I love that idea.
2: I'd definitely be curious on how <laughs> how you structure that course. Oh, yeah. I might have to <laughs> pick your brain on that a little bit more. Yeah, here's but, the um, problem
0: with that: I've tried to make natural plant dyes, and I've failed every time. So this this could be challenging. I can get the paper part down, but but the dye part now that's I need I need other I need some collaborators for that to happen, but. Um, I wanted to ask you now about um, the climate, right? So, obviously, so far, we've mentioned, you've mentioned a lot of things connected to our environment, whether it be grasses, buffalo, uh, TEK. Um, do you feel that um, with how things are going, now there's some progress, but as you said before, not fast enough? Do we need to rethink, maybe rebrand? Um, that idea of climate change or climate action, and, and how could we do that?
2: That's a good question.
0: Um, Thank and you. And I feel, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I feel this is this is where it would be nice if we could have like four designers sitting at a uh, at a table because I feel that mm. a lot of my journey was really spent getting away from using stereotypes and being more respectful in how you use uh, either indigenous patterns in graphic design uh, frame uh, and graphic design projects, or I feel like a lot of, uh, I put a lot of, and I still do, and, I, and again, this is not to, to sound exhausting, it's more um, still a lot of my uh, focus goes on just getting that Native American student into mm-hmm. that classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that curriculum doesn't fit for them, uh, if there's no resources for them, and they're not getting trained to leave a degree and go work for a sovereign nation, uh, I feel that uh, that has to be implemented for my student first before we can talk yeah. about getting ready for climate and stuff so right. what I it means that we could get like two more people if we took this conversation to another call and we can get two more uh, designers who might be a little bit more focused into branding for climate and I, and I didn't to be honest when I started in my journey I never thought I would be... Just expressing, let's just grow more grass, guys. Like I've never,
0: <laughs> it and I never, it sequesters carbon, right? It helps the soil. <laughs> yeah, we need that.
2: So, and think about rebranding. The only my connection and experience where I'm, I'm seeing myself more is working with sovereign nations. Mm-hmm. And I think one struggle for a lot of these 500 plus indigenous tribes in the United States is people fool generally in the United States and even Canada too they just either are clueless or they're not giving any second thought of what what means what sovereignty means mm-hmm. so in in talking and thinking about re- rebranding I think again people get so caught up in the look of Native American culture they're not understanding that these tribes want sovereignty to heal soil And if there's a way we can highlight that and express that a little bit more, I think people will be a little bit more accepting like, oh, this is why Native Americans are fighting for their uh, land rights. This is why they want to be helpful in regenerating whatever resource it may be, because it is going to, you know, help fight against global warming. The, uh, I guess another thing that I'm thinking about in this concept of maybe some greater, you know, pushes, whether, you know, however we might be branding this, is if you're bringing in natural elements that are indigenous to North America, we already have visual languages that might show what that is. So meaning that if there's a particular type of flower that, you know, we might want to bring into, let's say, a climate change festival campaign uh instead of appropriating let's say a floral design you know we have a lot of great visual languages developed already you just don't see them in a textbook they might be sitting in archives and museums somewhere Mm there's so there's There there might be on beadwork that somebody bought off an auction and might be sitting in in someone's house in France where it's like, geez, like, let's, you know, if we can start repatriating and, and, you know, kind of really owning, you know, a lot of this, we can be really helpful in how we give visual identity to what we're talking about but again going through these layers of inequality, you know social justice it's like gosh we want to be past this conversation it's more it's getting a little bit more annoying when it's just like we got a goal mm-hmm. to work together for you know let's, let's let's focus on that goal and but I don't again like I don't know I have to remind myself too is that our population is so small
1: mm-hmm.
2: meaning that and you look at the whole demographics of the united states we can get like some sense of data and you see the amount of native americans there like we're we're just a, a drop one water drop in the bucket so it's like we're so small it's just how can we even be heard and then once we finally you know feel included <laughs> in the country but then
0: yeah oh,
2: i guess so That's contradictory because like yeah. is it is it the sovereign nation's responsibility to put them on the map if we're going to be actual sovereign or do we need the united states help to to uh be in here and if we if the united states was like no you guys want to be your own country you got to figure all that yourself well then, then we gotta think about okay, well we're, we're all struggling for resources <laughs> then. So it's so it gets it gets a little bit confusing, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating, and I, I
0: yeah.
2: I, I mean, want to be small, but a position. you're mighty.
0: You're small yes. but you're mighty. It's like
2: we supply and demand. You we yeah. have the history and we have the knowledge, you guys need it, you guys non-indigenous, you know, within yeah, the United states. No, it's it's you. needed. Um I don't know what the fear is. <laughs> I mean, I can guess uh a few a few things, which we won't go hey, down. I can only but... speak for
0: myself, but you know, I I I could I could take some guesses too about why.
2: But it means of of a demand, the demand to need indigenous knowledge in this realm is there. Um, what would be nice is if uh we're brought and not exploited.
0: Isn't it that um I don't remember the exact number and I'm sure. Um, later on, I'll remember it, but indigenous peoples protect around like 60 or 80% of the world's forests that even though you said like drop in the bucket small, I mean, that's power right there. I mean, the the knowledge the that's, it is pretty powerful. And, you know, what I heard from you there was that, yeah, um, you agree that maybe climate needs to be rethought, but before you before indigenous peoples can go there like there's this other topic of sovereignty but doing that can lead to more climate action because you're going to be you know you're going to (laughs) be doing what needs to be done
2: yeah that's what's so confusing to live in in a place like united states or canada there's a lot of motivation there's a lot of diverse motivation to beat climate change, but it's just like, well, what are you planning to go back mm, to? Right. Because this isn't Europe. It's not Africa. It's not Australia. Yeah. It's here. So if you don't know what the land looked like pre-contact, uh, then what you're 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 not you're not on a path to a goal because mm-hmm. you don't that's know what to envision, point. and that's the hardest part of my job is that majority of the United States or Canada, or even just talking to North America in general, is people cannot envision what this land looked like and what a society looked like before colonization. Mm -hmm. And what I said is the disgusting aspect of that is how much that was destructive in a short amount of time. It's a short amount of time, that's all that work that was done for thousands of years is already almost devastated completely within a short hundred years time so um that's that'd be my question to to the uh to anybody listening in is how can anybody even go down this route without knowing what they what the final aspect is going to be
0: yeah I think a lot of people fear now right like the climate apocalypse right they mm-hmm. think that and they get eco anxiety they get worried about it. I was reading a lot of like indigenous science fiction, indigenous uh, storytelling, and most have already experienced the apocalypse, right? Like you just said, like it was just ta- everything was taken, right, mm-hmm. destroyed. And so um, how do you go back to that? How do people know what was there is totally right. And I wonder, you know, the is this, a, this is an interesting, you know, design storytelling project about the promotion, the awareness of, of indigenous sovereignty, right? How, if more people knew that about that, what could happen? Right. Could designers play a role in that indigenous, indigenous or not? And it probably is better if both, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The more that knows, more than knows. I have one more question for you, Sadie, because I know you're very busy. Um, you have a lot of stuff going on there. And I'm curious about um, you as an edu- design educator, and what would your sort of dream course or dream project that you teach, what would that be? How, what would that be like? And um, how would you, how would you teach it?
2: Yeah. So here are my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we have, we, the continent of North America needs a design school. I'm, I'm going to school. I'm going to pass a degree. Okay. <laughs> I want a yeah. whole school <laughs> that um, teaches design history before 1492. Mm. Mm-hmm. Some, some of the uh, need for this, particularly in say multiple curriculums is I see this in graphic design all the time is there's a lot of people who are not experts in conversations that are needed. And the reason why we're not experts in those conversations yet is there's no history tied to right. it.
1: Yeah.
2: So I would like a school in one degree, just to focus on trade routes. Um, that's a whole design system. Okay. Okay. So even thinking about like, I think people forget that, you know, horses, they're not indigenous here. Like mm. the Spanish brought us horses or think about steel, think about life before guns or a glass, Italians brought over glass. So when, when students, particularly BIPOC students are expected to be experts in appropriation, well, no one is telling them and no one is teaching them the history where stuff comes from. So, of course, you're not going to be able to answer uh, or acknowledge where something comes from because you're not being taught it. So I will love and, and everything about those trade routes is going to go back to where stuff is originated and where you're going to get natural resources from. So a whole aspect that is missing, that is needed in design education as trade routes in the in 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 North of, of North America and even in South America too. Cause I think it's mm-hmm. so I don't think people can grasp the concept that tribes in Canada and northern United States, we would hop in a canoe and we go all the way down to Argentina. And Uh, and thinking about uh, you know other tribes that would uh, go in those far uh, landscapes how would you even know and how would you even document it is you have to start asking questions so like how did macaw feathers or parakeet feathers make it all the way up into Canada if they come from a more tropical climate so I was just like how come people don't like why do people (laughs) think we're cavemen like why do people not know got
0: them yeah
2: (laughs) so that'd be that'd be one thing so that school is going to need that that whole degree of of trade routes the next thing is um i have a feeling and i hope i hope we see it in the life in our lifetime is more and more tribes are going to have sovereign recognition and if that's the case so one of the reasons why I'm, i'm have this feeling is people are starting to be more inclusive with sovereign nations, and then also sovereign nations are really working in realms of generating revenue. We're seeing it as tribes are uh, now owning uh, particular casinos in Vegas, which is gonna generate a lot of revenue, which could be shared within, you can share it intertribally for more programs. So it's like, hey, US government, if you ain't gonna fund us on this, we're just gonna reach out to one of our tribes that we will you know, uh, get funding for. So. I could see that, uh, and even to thinking about the just just recently, and this is going to be huge. in The next ten years is once boarding school remains start getting repatriated back, there has there's going to have to be a design system on how to handle that properly. So I'm thinking yeah. about if we can get students to be able to be prepared to work in sovereign nations, whether it may be designing for them visually or or system or uh, designing systems for for them they got to know how to work in a sovereign nation. And, Mm -hmm. and still, if you don't recognize that sovereignty, how could you even train a student to get prepared in that aspect? So, and then also one area that I love the most visual sovereignty. So hopefully one day, and I know Eric, you, um, you're familiar with, um, I'm a sports fan, but just Mm a means that if we're going to be seen more globally, uh, you know, if we're going to be in the Olympics, you know, I want, I want to, you know, if I'm going to, if my tribe's going to put team in the Olympics, I want eco friendly jerseys, but also I want, I want to look good. I want to look like Adidas <laughs> or Puma or somebody, uh, promoted us. And I'm going to end it on this one. Cause this is another can of worms is, um, we're going to need new maps mm-hmm. and think about how many times we utilize a map. And if the United States is ready for that, we're going to need new Google maps, um, more atlases, That actually either have the boundaries of treaty land, the boundaries of the sovereign nation land, but then also uh, renaming names of landmarks and towns and states so that they're more appropriate. So, to give two quick examples, um, anything that uh, was translated to be uh, uh, negative you always see the word devil associated yeah. with areas that might be a little bit more sacred area. So, for example, my tribe is a spirit lake Dakota Nation. You look on a map, it says Devil's Lake.
0: Does it really? There's a,
2: mm-hmm, there's a um, the, the um, I think it's Bear Butte or Devil's Tower. Devil's tower. It's a very sacred place, but how would you rename it if you took the word devil out of it? And that's, those are just two examples. There's many uh, slurs or other negative connotations to very beautiful uh, landmarks in natural parks, um, Custer state park. Let's yeah. get Custer out of there, you know, but yeah. just a means believe of,
0: it's still there. I still name that.
2: Yeah. So again, that's another need for graphic designers and designers and, Again, do we open up that can of worms? <laughs> to I mean, get more I maps so. changed. So <laughs> I, oh,
0: guess I can believe that I can believe Custer's name is still there. Sorry.
2: <laughs> I yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, a lot of goals. Um, I, 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 you know, I think I've accepted. We're devoting a lifetime of work yeah. to get into this progression. It's exciting that we can have conversations like this now. Um, mm-hmm. I've always admired, you know, your work with Renourish. So I'm just always happy oh, to, yeah. um, you know, just be my just to have insight on um, how you navigate through some of these concepts, and you provide a platform to share, um, you know, how we hope to paint the paint the picture for for the future.
0: Well, I clearly need you for for my work, um, <laughs> which is why you're here. So, and I know we've talked about it or you've Mm -hmm. talked about it with me recently about more things we can do together. And Mm -hmm. I'm all for that. And um, some of those last uh, parts there to the school kind of break my heart when I hear those. And uh, I'm all for your school uh, for four years of this. And uh, if I can get just a little bit of that school in my classroom, or if any of the listeners and the educators can, I think it'd be for the benefit. Well, Sadie, it was great talking to you today. Um, Before we go again, where can we find you online? Where can we learn more about all the good stuff you're doing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can find me at my website, www.sadieredwing.com, or follow me on Instagram at Sadie Redwing. All my name, so uh, (laughs) Sadie in Red Wing, so like the Detroit Red Wings, R-E-D-W-I-N-G. I'm I'm from
0: Michigan. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, but Eric it's been a pleasure again you um, you're honestly an opening uh, you open my door to allow me to express um, you know bring in what my culture really means Mm. and it's so simple and it goes over people's heads but if people can understand that a lot of tribes just really value the concept of soil health Mm-hmm. And I think that goes over, I think that misses the mark <laughs> when people want to be more inclusive to Indigenous people in the spaces, but design needs it, the uh, world needs it, our diets need it, our bodies need it, um, our, the whole ecosystem needs it. So I think this work is very, uh, very wonderful. And as always, um Barry, it's a, a pleasure and I will be following up with you uh, for more future I collaborations so. <laughs> after we get a chance to enjoy summer break a little bit after a um, crazy spring spring semester. So thank you,
1: Eric.
0: Yeah, and thank you for being on the show. This podcast is written, produced and engineered by me. Designed by Bashul Rashik and Mark O'Brien with music by Casual Motive. Next time, on Climafy, we're joined by Chandra Christmas-Rouse. She works in Chicago, Illinois, to reimagine and redesign city spaces to be more sustainable, just, and climate resilient.
1: So, the first type of planner that I was inspired by um, is a poet and architect named June Jordan. She created this plan for Harlem called Skyrise for Harlem. And she created these fantastical building designs and what I would consider a very Afro-futurist black feminist lens on how to design the intersections of Harlem and the buildings of Harlem to directly respond to the social, economic, and cultural needs of residents. So I think having that Afrofuturist vision for me, I finally saw my vision reflected back Mm. because for me, I want to be able to see the best versions of myself into the future. I think that's what Afrofuturism and Black feminism um, allows us to do. And so I am always thinking about how we can write new narratives of the future that are not just focused on everything going wrong but actually inspire people and compel them to want to be a part of that future thanks for listening to climafy if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to
2: help support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts to catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on
1: Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org edu.